You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Station One listeners, and welcome to another episode. This time we're back with a movie review. That's right, folks. We are going back to the movies to look at Death on the Nile, the return of Hercule Poirot, and it's going to be very interesting to see a whodunit and with a pretty all-star cast, and it was a lot of fun to see, and it's going to be interesting how it stacks up against the original or how or also does to the book should be real interesting to see but we have a great crew to talk all about that but before i do that the man with who has a mustache and a beard and i don't know what kind of scars he's actually hiding under there let's of course welcome mr mike gordon howdy how are you this week sir the little gray cells are are working are working quite well yes Oh, very good, very good. I mean, we don't have to drug you tonight because uh, we're going to be doing some trivia in a little bit. <laughs> trivia? So. Well, I don't know if the Great Shells will show up for that. But okay. uh, no, it'll be fun to uh, talk all about it. And for those people who are, you know, who are not familiar with our format, we will be spoiling it. So um, if you want to know who lives, who dies, who done it, that kind of thing, uh, yeah, you'll have to see the movie first and then, and then listen to our thoughts about it. Yeah, but, you know, we timestamp everything, so we'll put on ourselves on pause if you want to go see the movie, and we'll wait for you. Don't worry about that. Yeah. We, we definitely don't mind waiting in it. We'll be there. We'll be hanging out for you when you get out. It's it's Monday night. We don't have anything else to do. You know, we could wait the uh, hour and 45 minutes of the movie, and we'll just talk between ourselves. I think we'll be okay with that. But we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. Please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. Let us know what's going on with you guys. Did you like the movie? Did you not? What's been going on? We definitely would love to hear from that. And, of course, let's give a big shout-out to our patrons. You know, I think we're going to start referring to ourselves as, you know, listener-supported Earth Station One because, you know, that's why we have the Patreon, because they help support us from our listeners. So I think, you know, as we grow and such – We'll have pledge drives and we'll have, you know, people calling in and trying to sell stuff. We'll even give away a T-shirt or two. And, you know, Mike Gordon will be manning the phones the whole time. I can almost guarantee I'm, that. I'm standing by. Standing by right here. Exactly. So definitely. But in the meantime, you could go to patreon.com slash ESO Network and help support the ESO Network. All the fine shows, including um, we have a new show from Kevin Eldridge coming up. And so, you know, you'll be hearing Kevin in a second because we are doing a new round of ESO comic book trivia. So we have our regulars here for that tonight. So we'll be talking all about that in a second. But of course, patreon.com slash ESO Network. Check it out. Big shout out to Tafosi Optics. Tafosi Optics is an amazing sunglass company located up in Watkinsville, Georgia, right outside of Athens. And they are not, I don't want to say a mom and pop shop, but they have some of the most amazing sunglasses that you could find. And most of the pairs are only $25. That's not bad for a pair. You can custom make the color, the frames, 
the lenses. It's pretty cool. And if you have a prescription like I do, you can actually get your prescription put into your sunglasses so you can even look cool and actually see from them if you're like blind without your glasses. So it's pretty cool. So you can check it out at tofosioptics.com. As a way of saying thank you, put in the coupon code EarthStation1. You get 10% off your order, not just one pair of sunglasses, your whole order. So check it out, tofosioptics.com. All right, folks, we got some great stuff coming up. And like I said earlier, we got comic book trivia tonight. Let's welcome to the show, welcoming back from the Flopcast, Kevin Eldridge. Hey, guys, great to be here for more comic book trivia. I, I believe I'm on something of a losing streak, and I am confident that I can continue and keep up this uh, said losing streak. You know, it's interesting because you had Michael Bailey in the last round. Which, uh, <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> and I don't think anyone stood a chance with Michael Bailey in the nope. show. But we have returning instead, our regular Robert Young is here. Hey, Rob. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I get to come on, and I think uh, I can sufficiently lose as well. So I'm not sure anybody's confident here. So we we're, might have. We're, we're all losers in this <laughs> Here game. on Earth Station One, everybody's a loser. <laughs> you're a loser, you're a loser, and you're a loser. Come on up onto the show, and you could be a loser too. You never know where you can go with that. Oh, God. It's good to see you guys. It's really great to see you guys. And I got some specially drawn up questions for you guys tonight. Uh oh. We're all basing it on the Peacemaker TV show, so. Yes. Oh. Well, then I lose. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to you guys. I would not do, do it to you guys. But yeah, as always, the points don't really count towards anything. There's no real prize except for your pride. So it's, it's pretty cool. I got rid of that a long time. Oh yeah, that's long I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to start with the first question. Robert, pick a number one through ten. Uh, seven. Okay, Kevin, one th number one through ten. Six. Okay, Mr. Mike Gordon. Three. All right, my number was four. So, Mike Gordon, you're the closest. You get to go first. <sighs> Was that the final question? Are we done? Yeah, it's the final question. We're done for the night. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everyone, right. for listening. I, we'll see you soon. I was going to lose. See, none of us lose. got it right. <laughs> you couldn't even guess the number. Everybody's a loser. <laughs> All right, Mr. Mike Gordon. Which of the following would Sophie Bangs to turn into Promethea, a, myth, a mythological heroine, what would she do? Would it be, one, drawing two writing, three dancing, or four laughing? Oof. I barely remember this series. Uh, I'm going to say writing? Correct! Good <laughs> job, Mr. Mike. Wow. Promethea was all about stories. So yeah, yep. she would, she would be become Promethea by, by writing a story. Yeah, I, I knew it was a comic, so I, I figured it was our, our story and it was written by Alan Moore. So I'm like, it's got to be story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was the theme of that whole series. An Alan Moore is not putting anybody else before the writer. Okay. <laughs> the beginning third was fantastic. The ending third was fantastic. It, it got kind of bogged down in the middle with just kind of weird philosophical ramblings for issues and issues at a time. But overall, though, it's worth uh, definitely worth reading. Beautiful okay. work. Robert, you're next. In the series Daredevil, who is the Commissioner Gordon of Daredevil's comic? Mm -mm. I got nothing. 
Okay. Anyone want to try to steal? He's a reporter for the Daily Bugle. I'll put it that way. Oh, man. Uh, I can't remember his name. No. I don't know any reporter. I know a photographer for the <laughs> for the bugle. I know an editor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the editor. Wow. I can name a couple of people around the office, but now blog know. post, right? Do they have reporters? This is the first I'm hearing of yep. it. Yep. Uh, reporter Ben Urich was the basically the commissioner ah. Gordon. Yeah. Because they did a couple spin-offs with him, like short stories and stuff with the character. All right. All right, Kevin. Yes. Which villain was responsible for the explosion that apparently ap- appeared to kill Bucky Barnes? Was it the Red Skull, Baron Zemo, Masterman, or Loki? Uh, I don't know, so I'm just going to say Red Skull. Wrong. Ah. Of course you can. Uh, Zemo? Yep. Yeah, was, you know, now that you say it, that makes a lot more sense. And uh, that's why I, it was. I, sh- I, sh- I should have gotten that one. That's why it's it was the Captain America wedding ironic. band. It's yeah. like the only reason. <laughs> that, that's why they, it was kind of ironic on the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, the whole thing with Zemo and everything. All right, these Marvel questions are going to kill me. You know that, Mike Gordon. Back to you. All right, who were the original defenders? Appeared in Marvel Features number one in 1971. Oh my goodness, I need to name them all. (laughs) There are one, two, three, four characters. Okay, Doctor Strange. Yes. The Hulk. Yes. Valkyrie. (sighs) She didn't come in until issue seven. Uh, uh, should I keep going or should I just You can keep going. Uh doesn't matter. Um points don't matter anyway, so you know. Ghost Rider? Nope. Uh, Alright, that's later too, right? Yep. I don't know then. Okay. The, was was Submariner in it? Yep. Yeah. One more. Silver Surfer? Yep. Hey. There wow. you go. A weird team. I guess that was the that was the idea, right? It was just it was a they weird were the, team. The unteam. Yeah, unteam the unteam or something they yep, call Exactly. They were the anti Avengers, basically. I like Nightwing. Or not Nightwing, a Nighthawk. Nighthawk. Mm-hmm. They had him with the big beak. It looked exactly. hilarious in the beginning. Exactly. All right. Don't want to do that one. Okay. All right. Um what is the name? Of the, I'll throw this out to anyone. You have to. One of you has to buzz in. <laughs> what is the name of Mark Grayson's father, Nolan? What is his pl- the name of the planet in Invincible? Oh my! Oh, I've never even read. Watched I watched the cartoon, so. but I do not remember the name of the planet. Mm-hmm. No. All right. Brain luck. It was a he was a villainite. Oh, I wonder if that was any kind of hit. Villain might, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So All was right. the planet villain? Yes. I see. Uh-huh, exactly. I'm from the planet bad guy. All right. <laughs> 
name the artist and writer who created Raja Ghoul. Is this for everybody? Everybody. Okay, well, that's that's Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Yes, Kevin. Yeah. Good job. All right. So that's pretty awesome. All right. I won't ask Kevin a Marvel question since he just got that one. I'll be nice. All right. The thing about Rachel Ghoul, he's not supposed to have eyebrows. Neil Adams specifically designed him with no eyebrows because he just thought he'd look really weird that way and he liked that. And ever since then, every other artist draws him with eyebrows. With eyebrows. Yeah. Because yeah. Neil really forgot. And, and Neil's probably <laughs> cursing at him. Damn you! Yeah, yeah. One more thing for Neil Adams to be angry about. Exactly. He owns a razor. He owns a razor! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rob. What makes Karnak, one of Marvel's Inhumans, different from the other members of the superpowered race? A, he is alien. B, he is a mutant. C, he is an Asgardian. Or D, he was never exposed to the Terrigan Mists. Hmm. Well, it's funny because I know his power, but I'm not sure I know that. Let me think a minute here. So it's he's either an alien, a mutant. Never exposed to the mist. And what was the other one? Asgardian. Asgardian. Hmm. But he likes hanging out with the Inhumans. Well, you can't blame him. They're, they're, they're a hip-happening crowd. Except for yeah. the quiet guy at the, on the throne. <laughs> He's, He's fun at parties. No Get no lift from him. <laughs> oh, let's go with uh, he was never exposed to the Terrigen Mist. Yes, sir. Good job. Good job. All right. I never heard of Karnak except the Tonight Show version. <laughs> Superpowers, he holds the envelope up, right? Right. right. He, uh, he can find the weakness in anything. So, like, he can break a door or break whatever, can break anything. Okay. Kind of a, back, done in the 70s, back in the 60s when the breaking boards and karate was cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mr. Mike Gordon, who said this? Dan, I'm not a Republic serial villain. Do you seriously think I'd explain my master stroke if there remained the slightest chance of you affecting the, its outcome? I destroyed the city 35 minutes ago. Oh, oh, uh, I can't think of his name, uh, but I I know the source material. Okay. I just can't think of what. Oh, um, now I got to see if I can pronounce it right. Is it is it Ozzy Mendez? Ozzy Mendez. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And Watchmen. Good job, dude. Good job. Yeah. Very good. I knew it was from Watchmen. I just couldn't remember what his name was. He didn't want to be caught, uh, you know, basically monologuing. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, the, the the villain cliche of explaining everything that you're about to do. Okay, yeah, when you have Kevin, the hero trapped, yes. The only surviving city of Krypton is probably the most comic booky of all comic book cities, and not just because it survives certain death. Rather, this city is notable because of how it survived. It was miniaturized by the villain Brainiac. Name the city. That is the Bottle City of Kandor. Yes, sir. Little tiny yeah. Kryptonians still living inside it. <laughs> Have they brought that back for the new new versions of Superman? Or oh, it's back. It's gone. It's back again. It's gone. Who knows? 
It, it has the original Nightwing. Yeah, Nightwing and Flamebird. Flame That's right. Yeah, yeah. That that, that, yeah, that cool. was a. Uh, so it, there was originally it was Superman and Jimmy Olsen would would shrink down and go into Candor, and then and they would run around Candor as Nightwing and Flamebird. They didn't have superpowers, so Superman did not have superpowers inside because of the red. Because of the red. Yeah. Stuff. Yes, but so they would. It was like Batman and Robin style adventures that uh, Superman and Jimmy would have in Candor. Then and later the fun on, fun would enthuse. A couple of other guys in Candor assumed the role of. And so then there were there was another Nightwing and Flamebird after that that were not <laughs> Superman and Jimmy. Things got a little silly in Candor. Yeah, but what happens Oscars. in Candor stays in Candor because <laughs> they can't open the cork at the top. <laughs> cork, yes. <laughs> All right, Rob. In t- 2015, Secret Wars, in which Doctor Doom is a god, who are the police? Is it the Hulks? Is it Thor's Doombots or Scrolls? I'm just going to go with Doombots. No. I have no idea. Anyone want to try to steal? Uh, what were the other three? Hulks? Hulks, Thors, or Scrolls? I can't even I, make an educated guess, Mike, so this is on you. I I read a little bit of it, but was it Thors? Yes, sir. Right. Nice. That's a, um, I remember the Thors had a pretty big role. I yep. can remember. Remember the cool thing where they had the uh, the part I remember from it is where Black Panther has the Infinity Gauntlet, mm-hmm. and he goes to the Marvel Zombies world, and he goes, "You have to come help." <laughs> and so they're trying to pull them in, and I remember that's when somebody says, "Why should we listen to you?" And Namor throws his trident and splits one of them in half. Yep. And you, you see the other zombie going like, "We're with him." We're with the guy with the, yeah, it was pretty funny. I remember laughing out loud when I read that one. All I remember from the whole series. All right. There you go. That's pretty cool. All right. At the halfway point, we have a score of Mike Gordon and actually, no, we have a three-way tie. Wow. Each one of you have three points. We're all going to lose. I'm telling you. I know. Three-way loser. Yeah, this is like golf. Whoever has the highest score. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let's go for Mike Gordon. Who replaced Steve Ditko as artist on Spider-Man after his classic run? I do believe that was John Romita. Yes, sir. Senior. Senior. Yes, that was. I was going to wait. <laughs> See, I was waiting. I so I didn't. You know, he's the only one who could. Oh, and he did such a great job. Okay. Kevin will never get this, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) So fire away. (laughs) Machine Man, though a Marvel-owned character, debuted in a comic book adaptation of which movie? Was it Star Wars? I actually know this one. Star Wars, Star Trek, the motion picture, 2001, A Space Oddity, or Blade Runner? Yeah, this was uh, '70s. This was when, when Kirby returned from DC back to Marvel, and it did, and did 2001. And uh, so, yeah, the Machine Man was part of 2001. Yes, sir. Good job. Why do I know that? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Why it's I know fun. It. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Kevin. Nope. Um, nope. Kevin, you already went. So, okay, then we're going to go with Rob. Rob. Name the original X-Men. 
the original X-Men? Yes. So Cyclops, Gene, Beast, Iceman, Angel? Yep, perfect. And the professor. And He's Mar- not an X-Man. And He's Mary a teacher. Ann. And Marianne. And Marianne, Mary Mary right, of course. They got they got added to the song later. <laughs> it's, it's always Marianne. No ginger, always Marianne. <laughs> All right. Ginger's the only one left. Yeah. You know, Louise. All right, Mike Gordon. Name the Green Lantern planet. Or the Green oh, wow. Lantern that is a planet. I oh, say. gotcha. That's different. Yes. Uh, not, not Oa. <laughs> oh. Uh, I can see him. <laughs> he's hard big, to miss. He's round. <laughs> he's big. He's round. He's green. <laughs> <laughs> I think Skinny he was the arms. Green, I think he was the green planet. The green lantern planet for a while. Um, uh, I'm drawing a blank. I think it begins with M, but that's no good. Sorry. Okay, anyone want to uh, steal? That's Mogo. Kevin's drooling. Mogo. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say he's drooling. Mogo. 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 That's another yeah. Alan Moore thing. Alan Moore created Mogo. Was, yeah, yep. these are a lot of Alan Moore questions. Yeah, here. it was a, a short, a Green Lantern Corps short story called Mogo Doesn't Socialize. Mm-hmm. Actually, Mogo actually was uh, created as kind of a parody of Ego, the living planet <laughs> from Marvel. All right. Kevin. Yes. When was the time traveling warlord Kang born? Kang. That's a Marvel like, thing, I believe. When? Like, the, like a, a year? Yeah. Was it the year 1000? Was it the year 2000? Was it the year 3000? Or was it the year 10,000? Got to have uh, Conan do this segment. Yeah. I mean, the year 2000. So it's like, <laughs> like, like 22 years ago, <laughs> Kang was born. Just a, a very young man. But it was in uh, the future for them, but, you know, back for the future. Avengers. Okay, so this is like back in the 1960s story or well, whenever. He's King the Conqueror. He, he, you know. Yeah, I'm so confused. Uh, I'm going to say 1,000. Eh. Cannot possibly try? be correct. <laughs> Anyone want to try to steal? Sure. What's up? 10,000. Nope. I'll go 2,000. No, you you it <laughs> right around. We're trying it's to lose. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, so I think I think the real losers are the listeners, right? Yeah, yes. we're listening to this crap. But thank that you, listeners. We love you. Remember that <laughs> we literally had three shots and four choices, and we missed them all. You missed it all. Wow, this is like if we were playing darts, you know, with stormtroopers. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, it's great. All right. Okay, I think, Rob, it's your turn. Um, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sales created this um, Batman story dealing with a certain holiday. What was it called? Uh, Long Halloween and then uh, Dark Victory, right? Correct. Good job. I wouldn't have gotten that one. They did the really cartoon version of that just like a year or so ago. Yep. Yeah, they did. part one and two. Yeah, which I, I tried to watch, and I, I kind of got – it was really creeping along very, very slowly. I kind of lost interest. <laughs> Man. Okay, Mike Gordon. Another Green Lantern question. Yay! Oh. I'm all about the green. Uh, oh, no, not this time. What color is the Sinestro Corpse? 
<laughs> that would be yellow. Yes, sir. So we're tied once again, five all. Nice. Although Sinestro's purple. Sinestro himself, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Dark reddish purple with the weird little mustache. A yeah, little pencil thin mustache. Yeah, and the I like his old school court jester costume before he went to the the Green Lantern style, but black and yellow. Oh, the black and uh, purple. Yeah, or whatever there's the here. little mustache right there. On my, Mike yeah. Gordon has the Sinestro pop figure on camera right now. Very nice. Okay, Kevin. In the Marvel comics, who is Alpha? Who is Alpha? I don't understand the question. I know there's a Canadian <laughs> team called Alpha Flight. No, he is a, a Un- he is <laughs> he was a he was a sidekick to what hero? How's that? Oh. Huh? Briefly. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Sidekicks. I know Bucky. I know Toro. Sidekick to the original Human Torch. <laughs> Damn, um, that's as far as I go with Marvel sidekicks, I believe. So I'm going to say Alpha was Toro, boy sidekick to the original Human Torch. Wrong. <laughs> I tried. Shocker. And, and Rick Jones was pretty much the sidekick oh, to the yeah, whole Marvel Rick, universe. Everybody. <laughs> Rick yeah. Jones, yeah. too. Yeah. He must have been Alpha at some point. Nope. <laughs> so anyone want to try Steel? Sure. Uh, uh, Spider-Man. Yep. Ah. Alpha was Spider-Man sidekick in 2012. Well, this is awesome. the first I'm hearing of it. Wow. I saw him on a cover. <laughs> That's I, literally my, my way know, of now that, now that you say that, I'm like, I kind of remember that. I think it lasted, I don't even think it lasted like four months. I was probably like two weeks the way Marvel's publishing schedule is. Probably. Every other week they publish a book. All right. Rob. Name the cities that the Flash of Earth One and Earth Two reside in. Uh, what's it, Central? Yes, it's one of them. Central City. Gosh, I actually used to know this. Um, and that's that's Barry. Yes. Right. Yep. Yes. Yeah, what was Jay's? Jay Garrick lived in. Man, I don't remember Jay's. Okay. Let's tee this up for a steal because I don't remember. <laughs> Anyone want to try to steal? It was key, yeah, Keystone City was Jay Garrick. Yes, sir. Oh yeah. Good job. Good job. All right. It was Earth two for a while. Then at some point they just with, with the squishing of the earths, All they were just kind of like city. sister. Well, I think that there was a keystone that existed alongside. Yeah, they were Central like city. the twin cities or something yeah, like that. Yeah. All right. Mike Gordon, this goes with a new TV show that is coming out next month. Which of the following is not an alias or identity of Moon Knight? One, Mark Spector. Two, Jake Likely. Three, Matches Malone. Or four, Stephen Grant. Well, it's three, Matches Malone, because that is an alias of bruce wayne so i know that the others i didn't know but um i i know that i know that it's three awesome matches all right the, the name that batman would use to uh so circulate to among be, among the criminal element they used to be aliases but i guess recently they're they're parts of his split personality oh no really <laughs> yeah 
that's yeah. terrible. Like he now has a like, I like triple identity or something. I oh man! At least in the comics, I don't know if that's what they're doing in the show. Oh, they're, well, doing, the, they're doing pretty much the same thing. I do like the one where it's like one of them is the brains and one of them is the brawn. Yep. So like one part of his personality solves it, and he dresses in a nice suit. And then the other part of his personality is the slugger who goes out and executes the plan Mm -hmm. and probably messes it up a lot, which (laughs) which would be kind of fun. So he's a one person A team. Got it. There you go. He's Hannibal and B.A. Baracus. He hates to fly. Exactly. All right. Kevin. Yes. Which of the following, or actually, which of the following has never been Batman? Hmm. One, Jim Gordon. Two, Dick Grayson. Three, Damian Wayne. Four, Carrie Kelly. Or five, they all have. Wow. All right. The only one I'm 100% sure has been Batman is Dick Grayson. I'm pretty sure that they did a a long storyline not too long ago where uh, Dick was Batman. Um, The other ones I'm not too sure about. Carrie Kelly. Wow, that sounds interesting. She was the the Robin from the, the Dark Knight series. Jim Gordon. I mean, he must have at some point <laughs> slipped into the uh, the bat suit. Why not? I'm just going to go ahead and just throw in with that final option and just say, yeah, everybody's Batman. You got it, dude. All right. Good job. I don't. I don't remember Carrie. I remember the rest of them. But uh, yeah. yeah, Jim was pretty recent actually, and he was mm. he looked like the Tick. <laughs> this like <laughs> mechanical outfit. He looked like the Tick. Oh wow. It's funny you would say that because as soon as they showed it, I was in the store and I opened up the book and I spun it around to my guys and I went, Keen! <laughs> help it. <laughs> Boon! All right. <laughs> All right. Rob? Uh-oh. <laughs> Who is the ruler of Apocalypse. Oh, man. Everybody knows it's Thanos. No, I'm just kidding. It's Darkseid. <laughs> Good job. Yes. And everybody really knows it's Granny Goodness. That's really say, the ruler. It's really Granny. It's really it's Granny really Goodness. Granny. It's always Granny. Okay, Mr. Mike Gordon. What transforms Buddy Blank into OMAC? Is it gamma rays? Is it alien technology? Is it a satellite? Or is it magic? I think it's a satellite. Yep, brother eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brother eye. Yep. Those weird Kirby things from the seventies. Yeah, yep. Omac was weird. (laughs) (laughs) I won't. But not the weirdest thing he ever did. No, not even close. (laughs) Have you seen some of those collages? I mean, they're cool. But he was. (laughs) Oh, some of the Kirby crackle in those are amazing. He did all these crazy collages. Like he was doing those wacky cigarettes back in the seventies. He was doing something. Those were, those were a trip. All right, Kevin, which astrological sign was also the name of a Nick Fury villain? Was it cancer, Pisces, Scorpio, or Aries? I don't know. I mean, Scorpio sounds the most like, the kind of name for a character like this so i'll just say scorpio good job yeah yeah we all know cancer was the arch enemy of captain marvel oh (laughs) dude ouch 
too soon. <laughs> too soon? Too soon? That was like 50 years ago. <laughs> oh, that was a Tyson body shot uppercut right there. <laughs> wow. All right. Rob. Yeah. What is the name of, what is the Silver Surfer's true name? Uh, Norrin Rat. Yes, sir. Oh, nice. I was going to give that one to Kevin, but I thought, no way. Yeah, that's <laughs> not a I was like, no, no, that was, no. That was officially my first time ever hearing that name. I don't know that I knew it till you asked it. To be fair, I was like, oh, it's this. Like, it I just, didn't know I knew it that. just came to you from the cosmos. Sure. Galactus gave it to me. Yeah. It was kind of it. All I've right. got this ultimate nullifier over here, but I don't want to have to that. Okay, first appearing. This is for Mike Gordon. First appearing in the Flash at number 106. This is the home to Gorilla Grodd. Name it. I believe that is Gorilla City. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Tough one. Wow, they, they really went out, out, out in left field to name that place. All the gorillas got together and said, what are we going to call our city? Hang and on. They, I got it. <laughs> Oh, well, that makes sense. If they put it up to a vote, then yes. those, those always go bad. Never put, never put anything up to a vote from the public. It just lost to Banana Town. They were right there. <laughs> and it was like, just so close. Okay. So we are officially tied all the wow. way at eight. So this is for the final question. And it's going to be up for all of you. So let's see. It's a multiple choice. So you might get all, you all still might get it wrong. Are we all just going to start <laughs> screaming at the same time? Yes. So we all have a shot at getting it wrong. We all can I, lose. Think, I think we can do it. I think okay. if we work together, we can all be wrong once or again. Or should we just say, screw it, and we're all in a tie? We, we have proven that we're more than capable okay. of losing. We, we can sink to the occasion. I think we can. All right. This is for all of you. Which of the following Avatar series by Warren Ellis is not a deconstruction of superheroes. Was it A, Black Summer, B, No Hero, C, Super God, or D, They All Are? I'm going to say D, They All Are, because yeah, that's all he does. I've never heard of any of those titles, so I'm totally clueless, but yeah, it's probably another uh, all, right. all, all of them. We're all going to give the same answer. Yes, yes. And exactly. guess we what? Are, you all got it right. There you go. So you yes. guys ended in a tie. Each one of you got nine points. Congratulations. We're all winners and we're all losers. Exactly. All at the same time. You know, I'll save this question for next time. So <laughs> it is awesome. Well, congratulations, guys. Don't you guys feel the better for this? For You know, it's always fun to talk superhero trivia with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, Rob, you have a convention coming up real soon, like two months away now almost. Yeah, less now. Uh, April uh, 9 and 10. We've got South Carolina Comic Con here at the Greenville Convention Center for sure. Um, it's pretty fun. Getting pretty excited about it. We've got yeah. some great media guests. We've got, uh, I think the one that's getting the biggest traction is John Ratzenberger because oh, wow. who doesn't know him, right? right. It's true. It's funny the kids know him from Pixar, but we know him from Cheers. Yeah, it's it's pretty. That's been pretty interesting. The coolest thing I actually had a customer order a mailbag, 
to get signed. <laughs> really? Which I thought was, I thought that was genius, and I'm sure it's been done, but sure. really cool, really really fun. Wow, I um, guess I have to order an 18 wheeler to get him to sign it. Yeah, from cars. <laughs> that's how you that's how you do it, right? Can you right. sign my car? It's outside. Yeah. Just sign my my truck. Exactly. Um, yeah, we've got him coming. And folks are into comics. You know, we've got Jerry Conway who created the Punisher. Uh, Martin Nelson, the first guy to draw aliens in comics. I thought that was pretty cool. Mike Grell's coming. Uh, Veronica and Andy Fish. So a lot of great comic creators as well. That's awesome. Nice. Uh, that is amazing. I'm I'm impressed. Um, you, I've been seeing you even have a doctor there this year. You know, Sylvester McCoy is something. We worked on that for, gosh, probably four or five years before the timing worked out. It's my wife's favorite doctor. Oh, that's nice. awesome. He's one of mine uh, too. So. And Lord of the Rings, like he was in Hobbit. So how do you... He's, in the, he's in the new Monsters. I was about to say he's going to be in the new Monster series too. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. And you have us. How much, you know. So. How, how, I mean, really, would it be complete without you? I don't think I so. I don't think so. No, no. It was like a, pl a place missing in my heart. So it was good. So awesome. We'll have a link to it up on the show notes. And as we get closer to the con, we'll have you back up to talk for, more about it. Man, anytime. I always enjoy spending time with you guys. Awesome. And Kevin. Yeah. Thank you, sir. You want to promote the Flopcast real quick? Well, sure. That's my uh, silly little corner of the ESO network is the Flopcast. Uh, that's my podcast, along with my wonderful co-host, Cornflake. And we're just being silly and goofy every single week, uh, kind of diving into a lot of 70s, 80s pop culture, nostalgia stuff, really obscure nonsense that nobody cares about except us. And we're just goofing Makes around, having, having a good time. And yikes, we are coming up on doing this every week for 10 years. That's awesome. Ooh. 10 it's, years. It's just sad. It's just sad. How do you think we <laughs> feel? We're coming up on our 12th anniversary without missing a week. So, <laughs> So it's pretty amazing. Well, dude, it is awesome to have both of you guys up here. Thank you. Thank you. And it takes a lot of talent to tie at nine. So that's pretty awesome for you guys. <laughs> We've been practicing all week. We had a lot of secret meetings, <laughs> the three of us, to make sure that we we could land on a tie. Oh, Juggled it. Exactly. Yeah. It's well, amazing how naturally I am at oozing. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, let's take a quick break. And we'll be back in a moment. And we're going to be going to the movies. everybody, Michelle here with an Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. And did you grow up watching Casey Kasem and listening to Casey Kasem Countdown American Top 40? A lot of us did. And now here's your chance to grab some Casey Kasem memorabilia. Julian's Auction House uh, will be auctioning property from the collection of Gene and Casey Kasem. Um, I think it's everything that was in their house. Their furniture, their Mercedes-Benz, their china, their candlesticks and art and whatnot but uh, it also includes in addition to Gene Kasem's scripts and costumes from shows like Cheers and Saved by the Bell uh, Casey Kasem's music memorabilia which as you can imagine is vast uh, his I think entire record collection is here which of course is huge uh, they've got it separated out by genre albums and 45s um, lots of signed items as you may imagine 
Springsteen, U2, Fleetwood Mac, The Beatles, uh, Chuck Norris. Uh, lots of autographed things. Those will probably get the, the big prices. If you're interested in just looking at the stuff, you can go to juliansliv.com. That's J-U-L-I-E-N-S live.com. Uh, the auction is March 17th. If you're going to bid, you can bid online. And don't miss the sweaters. Casey Kasem was rocking sweaters before Cosby did in the 90s. So if you want to pick up a snazzy sweater, here's your chance. Did you watch the Super Bowl halftime show with Dre and Eminem and Snoop Dogg? Snoop Dogg's um, lawyers have filed a trademark intent to use. Um, so he can use his name on hot dogs and sausage products called Snoop Dogg's. So... Yeah, maybe next uh, halftime show you'll be munching on a Snoop Dogg. Um, no word on when he'll be developing this or if he'll develop it, but he's got the, the trademark. And you can, to go along with that Snoop Dogg, you can have some Chance the Rapper Ben & Jerry's Mint Chocolate Chance Ice Cream. It is mint ice cream with brownie bits instead of the usual chocolate chips. And it's going to be available in dairy and non-dairy versions. And, of course, being Ben & Jerry's, this benefits a cause, uh, Chance the Rapper's Social Works Program, which aims to empower youth through the arts, education, and civic engagement with program focusing on education, mental health, homelessness, and the performing and literary arts. So, um, junk food for a good cause. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. We'll catch you next time. At the 42 Cast, we want to bring you everything. And that's why we've jam-packed the next few months with as much as we can. You not only get the same reviews, topics, and interviews that you did before, you also get screen reads where we compare a movie to its source material, or role models where we talk about tabletop gaming. It's never been a more exciting time to check out our show. It's your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. So why not check it out? We can be found on most podcasting platforms, and we are a proud member of the ESO Network. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Simon Doyle. You must meet Hercule Poirot. My congratulations, madame. Merci. He's only the greatest detective alive. I suspect you invited me for reasons other than the fun. You had something to hide. We have the Karnak all to ourselves, a chef and enough champagne to fill the Nile. Should have hidden it, shouldn't you? When you have money, no one is ever really your friend. It's too late to change events. It's time to face the consequence. Someone is dead. The crime. Is murder. The murderer is one of you. Were you aware of any grudges? Madame is used to getting what she wants. Never again. I don't feel safe here. I don't feel safe with any of that. There are so many conflicting hates and jealousies. Oh, I like this. Did you see or hear anything? I did not trust her. I still don't. What did you do last night? You accused me of murder. He accuses everyone of murder. It is a problem, I admit. The murder was methodically planned. But who did this? You are mad. Can I not trust you? What do you want me to say? Ben. 
someone else is dead. You lie in my face! Lock the doors! The murderer is here. And will stay here. Welcome back to Earth Station One. There is a mystery afoot. Let's see what Detective Mike Gordon has to say about it. <laughs> well, uh, I guess the mystery is like, how was this version of Death on the Nile? This is the third uh, incarnation of adaptation of the uh, novel by Agatha Christie. And uh, of course, the latest one directed by, second one directed by uh, Kenneth Branagh who directed um, Murder on the Orient Express a couple years ago and also played uh, the main title with star character, which I know I always have a hard time saying. So I will say it this time and try to get it out of the way. Hercule Poirot. Is that close enough? Right. Close All enough. Right. Hercule close. Close. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. So we've got some other people here who are probably better at pronouncing things than I am, starting, of course, with Ashley back from uh, an extended break, I guess. <laughs> yes, and I want you all to know I have been practicing saying Hercule Perrault, so hopefully I can nail it tonight. All I right. know I did very badly on the Murder on the Orient Express podcast, so I'm looking to redeem myself a little bit. Here. It's, uh, you know, French, Belgium does not come naturally to me, so um, so yes, uh, forgive me. And, and this is one of those episodes where, you know, if people are drinking every time we pronounce a name wrong, then they're again for a really good time. Uh, so, uh, Here's um, to good friends tonight. We also have with us, I don't know if he was the, is this their first time on the station, Dave? It is. First time on Air Station One. You join us a lot, of, uh, quite frequently for Air Station Who, and we love having you, but this is the first time where uh, I guess we we brought you in to discuss another British import. Yes, and I'm <laughs> thrilled to be here. Awesome. I, I was, yeah. I um. Uh, all right. So, uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, uh, we are going to spoil this. So, if you don't want to know who lives, who dies, who done it, then uh, obviously you see the movie and then uh, come back and join us. Um, but uh, the, yeah, this is pretty much um, a standard mystery. Uh, I don't know if a standard mystery is is the right word. It's more like a um, well, it's been filmed a lot. And it's it's pretty well known. It's probably the second, I guess, most famous Agatha Christie. Well, maybe third most Agatha Christie uh, novel that's been filmed. Uh, probably Ten Little Indians, or then there were none, or whatever you want to call it. Was probably the most filmed, I think. Uh, so this one is uh, clocks in at the third time it's been filmed. Uh, Ashley, let's start with you as far as your, you know, what what did you expect going in, and and what were your overall feelings coming out of the theater? That by some miracle, I have managed to remain entirely unspoiled all these years. So I knew nothing about Death on the Nile other than that it was written by Agatha Christie. And so I was really excited to go into this movie and just experience it as an entirely new story and just get to encounter the mystery. And I really enjoyed it. I really liked um, Murder on the Orient Express and that kind of kicked off um, more of an interest in these type of mysteries that take place in a period drama setting. And I've sought out some of her other works. And what is really fascinating to me is how well the stories stand the test of time. Like when you think about how many years ago these mysteries are written, but people are still interested in it. They're still doing adaptations. The story still has things that you can pull out to intrigue modern readers. So it's always cool to see these stories 
be introduced to new audiences. So hopefully more people would see this and check out some of her other work. I know that because of some of these recent adaptations, I'm now more familiar with Agatha Christie's work. And I definitely, if I see an adaptation of one of her works, I'm excited to check it out. Awesome. Awesome. So overall, this was a a positive experience for you? Yes. Yeah, I would say I definitely enjoyed it. And I'm terrible at guessing plot twists. So of course I was surprised by by the murderer. Although I have to admit, Army Hammer is kind of a creepy guy. So I kind <laughs> I of felt like he was. So I couldn't separate Army Hammer, the person and Army Hammer, the character. It's so difficult. I really kept thinking he's either going to get murdered or he is the murderer. And it turns out both. So <laughs> as we said <laughs> at the beginning you... of the show, folks, spoilers. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Uh, Dave, what's uh, what your well, your expectations, your history with this? I expected the butler to do it. <laughs> no. Um, I, I'm a little bit like Ashley in that I haven't, I don't have a lot of background with Agatha Christie. My mom read a lot of Agatha Christie, so I saw it, you know, on around the house and went, well, clearly I don't have no interest in this, and wanders off. Um, but I really I went to see Murder on the Orient Express with my cousin when that was in the theater and loved it. And so I'm like, okay, great. I want to see this. And it took forever to come out. And I my yeah. former partner has been getting very much into Agatha Christie stuff uh via the All About Agatha podcast. And so I'm like, I'm not going to see this without her. That that's no. And we were able to coordinate it so we could both go watch it and come see or talk to you because i know yeah so i didn't know what to expect mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and quite frankly as it turned out either did she even though she knew it because <laughs> they did make a fair a fair number of changes very much so very, well you know they're, so. they're yeah they're always going to change a few things and there's some things that i yeah some changes that kenneth and company did that i liked and a couple that i didn't so uh so yeah we'll get into all that uh mike what about you what uh what was your expectations going in see this movie had a lot to for me to live up to because i had seen the original two versions of this already and you know the first experience with it for me was when i saw you know peter usenoff and david niven in this movie and was an amazing version amazing all-star cast and it was interesting like how is this going to live up to it and i thought it did really well capturing the feeling and the look and the cinematography was beautiful and kenneth does such an amazing job with any movie he works on and that's one of the things i love about him as an actor and as a director, and he puts his heart and soul into this. And from the opening scenes where, you know, showing him in World War One, and explains how he grew the mustache and such, I was hooked. I liked it. I enjoyed it. The story didn't resemble a lot of what happened in the book and what happened in the previous movies, but it worked for itself and I enjoyed it. And that's what I liked. And I loved because Judy went to see it with me and she's never seen um, the Peter Usenoff version until I showed it to her. And so 
this was what made it really fun and everything to see her reaction to it. And she, you heard her gasp a couple of times, which is pretty awesome. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Cause uh, I mean, I've seen, I haven't read any of Agatha Christie's books, uh, but I've seen a lot of adaptations of Agatha Christie's work um, and a lot. And especially over the last two years, ever since the pandemic, I, I binged, all of the uh, Miss Marple series. I binged all of the uh, Perot series. I binged like everything. Like Amazon's got a ton of adaptations up by, I can't remember the name of the woman writer, but she's like uh, written a bunch of stuff um, now. And she's provided some great adaptations of some of her stuff, uh, some of the stuff, um, including like the ABC murders and stuff like that. Um, but so um, I liked the Kenneth Branagh version of uh, Murder on the Orange Express a lot. Uh, but that one I hadn't, when I, when I saw the Kenneth Branagh version, the other adaptations of it had not been fresh in my mind. I had been a while since I saw it. And I, it was only after I seeing that version that I rewatched the uh, Albert Finney version. And, and, but in the case of this one, it had been, you know, a year or so since I'd seen both versions of this. And uh, so the mystery element was pretty much non-existent for me. I mean, I was, like I knew like I knew who did it like going in. Right. I just knew who did it. I knew how they did it. I knew what happened. Um, so there's some things that um, obviously they play around with a little bit. But the basic core structure of the mystery is the same. The outcome is the same. Uh, like it's pretty much uh the way it is i think in other th- those other versions um so to me it's a matter of when you watch it it's like okay well the mi- the murder mystery is taken off the table for me because i know who did it so now it's just a matter of you know watching this and is is kenneth doing a good job building this case uh is he is he giving it away too soon um sometimes that's hard to make out because you already know um does it look nice yes it looks nice how the characters how the actors all that kind of stuff it's like seeing a play that you've seen a hundred times and you know the outcome but it's just different performers in the play and uh and i must say i i came out of here um more or less liking this a lot there's a couple things i really don't like though um we'll get into those but there's a there's uh, the one thing that really sticks in sticks with me and we'll talk about this in more detail but uh, this looks like the last one that Kenneth Brown is going to do. And I feel that's a shame. I feel like he's done such a good job at these other two. He pretty much like, you know, basically kills pro at the end of this movie. I mean, he doesn't literally kill him, but he pretty much kills. Him. So that there's so that I doubt there'll be any more. Um, and it's possible that these weren't really doing that well box office wise. So maybe that's why he's, and these are the two biggest where mysteries like, there are a couple of others that he could probably do, but they're not as big as the two that he's done already. So, so I guess it's just downhill from here. So he figures I'm just, he's just going to get out while it gets good, I guess, maybe, I don't know, but I don't know what the, what went behind the decision, but um, in any case, let's get to, let's focus on some things we liked about it. Um, Ashley, we'll start with you as far as what's something about it, characters, story, scenes, sequences, whatever, what's something that brought to your mind that you really enjoyed? Yeah, well, one of the things that I believe makes period drama mysteries so fun is that if this was set in the modern day, you'd have people with cell phones, like modern forensic technology, and all these little tools and tricks that would make 
solving the crime easier or just a much different process. So I kind of like that it's set in the past. And so you really just have to rely on um, Perot's investigative skills and what he can notice, what he can see, what he gleans from these interviews. So I like that it's old fashioned in that sense that he just pretty much has to rely on his wits to solve this crime. And that that is a reason why I think I'm drawn to period drama mysteries more so than modern ones like CSI, because I think the setting adds some interesting challenges and ways to tell the story. Did you, did you know who the murderer was when he did? Um, I think towards the end, I was kind of figuring out, like, there's only so many people left. So you kind of try right. to figure yeah. you're kind of figuring out like, okay, so I, who is still alive? Exactly. Yes. Like who, do, which of these people do I like the least? But, um, yeah, it was interesting to see him kind of try to figure out like, okay, who all is involved in this conspiracy. And I was not expecting the death of his uh, young friend, Tom Bateman's character. Mm. I thought that was a really gut-wrenching uh, plot twist. And I thought it was interesting because it just kind of tied into the movie's connection themes about connection and love and family and ways that this relationship can be very toxic. Obviously, Simon Doyle and... Um, I forget, I can't believe I'm blanking on the character's name, but obviously their relationship is not healthy. Like whatever they ever they have going on is not good. But then seeing like Perot and his friendship with Book and other, some positive relationships. So I thought it was just a really interesting study of the connection between people and how those connections make us human and impact who we are. Yeah, there's a lot to be said in this about, love and the different forms of love and yeah and i think uh it was in you know i saw this today this is monday we're recording this on valentine's day i saw it this afternoon and i thought this is kind of an appropriate movie uh to see on valentine's day uh because it's a lot about love now granted it's a lot about death and really ugly love yes <laughs> but- <and> very <laughs> ugly love <laughs> A lot of like money. your relationship looks like that. Like, get out now. Exactly. <laughs> a lot Red of flag. manipulation completely. Here's, yes. here's what to look for. I see. I see. Um, but I did find it really like this one. I think out of all the other versions that I've seen of this uh, adaptation, I think this one was more focused on that element of it, um, uh, particularly with the main character himself, uh, which you don't usually see very much of. Uh, Dave, what about you? What's something that, uh, first of all, let me ask you this, Dave, did you, cause this is the first time you saw it too. Did you know who did it when, when Hercule did not, I, you? I, I, at various points in the movie, I went, that person's gotta have done it. No, no, wait, no, no, it's gotta be, wait, no. So really, no, I wasn't surprised sure. by the ending, but I certainly was not expecting it. Mm-hmm. And and more importantly, when you found out, did it click or does it was it something like I don't know? Because sometimes you know, uh, sometimes they, they seem to pull things out of their butts, you know, right? I I think it actually clicked better because I went back and watched uh, the Houstonoff version today. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, and and talked to like I said, I talked to Gina about the the original version, other versions of it. And they made a, cu- a couple of the changes they made, like, for example, again, spoiler, 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 mm-hmm. red paint. Yeah. Um, because in, in the original, it's nail polish. Well, red paint doesn't smell <laughs> in the same way that, you know, if you broke open a bottle of nail polish, you're going to smell that. 
and not so much of the paint. So like that helped it click way more. Gotcha. Um, by comparison, you know, you, you do, it was less willing suspension of disbelief with that particular uh, element. But overall, I mean, I loved the I loved the music. Mm. It was incredibly well done um, score, and then the extra turning uh, Salome Autobahn into a, a blues singer uh-huh. was amazing. Uh, was amazing, yeah. yes, because she's a writer. Amusingly, Angela Lansbury playing a right a, a, a writer. We didn't the, use not what, <laughs> but uh, yeah, turning her into a jazz into a jazz blues singer was just absolutely. I loved the character. I loved what they did with that character. It was great. Um, and I think just like everyone else, it was visually just absolutely stunning. I, uh, I am a big fan of sister Rosetta, who that character was based on. And I was a big proponent to get her into the rock and roll hall of fame a few years ago. And I was very happy when she did. And, and to see her, represented in this kind of as a character in this not not that they i mean they didn't use her per se but they based the character heavily on her and they used a lot of her music in this and uh um you know i like the bluesy i like the bluesy music uh i think that's when she showed up with the electric guitar (laughs) it was amazing it was like it was sister rosetta you know and because she was one of the first pioneers with the electric guitar especially in that era and everything And it was great to see that. And some of the character changes made total sense and was fully acceptable. And it was interesting because if you watch the Peter Ustinoff version, it's very white. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and most of Agatha which Christie's makes sense. stuff yes. is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, let's, let's face it. Like, most of Agatha Christie's stories are a bunch of rich white people having problems. And it's like, after a while, you're kind of like, after you watch it, like if you binge a bunch of them, you're kind of like over it. You're kind of like, I don't care what happens to these people because they're just rich and they don't care. They don't work for a living. They like, <laughs> they're, they're inherited. Uh, like they get all this stuff. And it's just like, I, you know, this it's, it, it, they don't get, Agatha Christie doesn't get down and dirty very often. Um, but, you know, I think the more modern tellings of her work have opened it up to uh, a, a wider spectrum, shall we say, and and I think uh, that's it's the better for it. I think it holds up a lot better. And the fact that the writing and the mystery still works so that you can do that is a true testament to her skill as a as a mystery writer. Um, so yeah, Mike, good good call on that. I do think that opening up to a more diverse cast is a very good thing. It was, and it made it more realistic, truthfully. And you know, I it made it real world and something that could have actually happened and i found that real interesting with that especially being set in the nile and in egypt at the time it was it was just really amazing and the pageantry and the the contrasts in between the people the has and the has nots was very apparent in this movie too which i loved Despite the diversity of the cast, it was I was remarked on like how white this movie really is. Though I mean, you've got the white sands, the white you know, the white ship. Everybody's wearing white. I mean, there's still a lot of white uh, on there, and it's everything looks so clean and crisp, and uh, and and it's kind of like the way we want to remember that time period. You know, um, I think it's it's very beautiful, very beautiful. It's like the best of that kind of thing. 
Um, uh, so yeah, I, I appreciate that as well. What do we think of the actors? Uh, you know, this has got a great cast, and and traditionally speaking, Agatha Christie uh, movies have like huge casts, uh, Academy Award winners in 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 this case and in others. Um, this is like one of the few things I've seen outside of Wonder Woman that Gal Gadot has has starred in. Uh, granted, she uh, you know meets her end. I think she's the first one to meet her end, right? Um, oh, of course. As far as the cast goes. Um, but um, I really thought she was uh, very fun to watch. She carried the movie really well as the as lead, I think, the lead woman. And uh, yeah, I, I liked her much better in this than the only other thing I'd really seen her in recently was um, uh, what was that? Uh, the show on Netflix, that movie on Netflix with uh, The Rock uh, and uh, Red Red something. Yeah, Red Notice. Is that Red it? Notice. Red Notice. Yeah. Red Notice. And you know, that was okay. You know, good old Red something. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know, but there's something about Gal Gadot in this time period um, that uh, that I think, you know, because this is around like, you know, World War II-ish, right? So this is like the right... Like right before were, World War II, because this was 1937, right. I think. Right, World War One, World War Two, in that time period, right? We're the same place, the same time, around a few years, like where the first Wonder Woman movie takes place. And I thought, wow, this is like this is Gal's like time period. Like I think she she looks really good here, and and uh, I'd like to see her more in more period stuff. Um, what uh, what did you guys think of of Gal? Oh, she was beautiful. She was glamorous in this. And, you know, she just flowed in every scene and she lit up every scene she was in, too. Which she often does. Yes. Like, that's just, she is, she is larger than life in a good way, not in an over the top way, in a just jaw droppingly glamorous presence um, in every scene. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. It's not hard to believe that when she walks into the nightclub, like everyone's attention immediately goes to her. Like she's a good actress to pick to play like a an heiress, somebody that's famous and has this presence about her that she would draw all these kind of friends and have this wealth. Yeah, I mean, she in a lot of ways, it's really important that she carries herself because we have to believe that the guy that she's marrying is completely in love with her, that he would never do anything, uh, you know, to harm her. And, and then it was, she's co completely capable of winning and stealing any man in the room that she wants to. Right. And, and she does that. Oh, literally she steals her best friend's fiance. And it's just amazing. You know, it's like, Oh, better luck next time. You know, type thing. It was just like, <laughs> It was it was kind of very odd. She was she was the perfect victim. She was you know she came off as being you know almost like very aristocratic, mm -hmm. but also very sympathetic at points. But then she, you real you kept on having to think she stole that guy from her best friend, and she she and they even within said minutes it, with it oh within minutes. Yeah. Of first meeting him, but it was also, you know, hearing from other people that she carried on the tradition from her father who stole from, you know, made a lot of rich people poor. 
And, you know, she was carrying on that tradition. So she was not innocent at all in a lot of ways that way. No, 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 no rich person is, uh, <laughs> especially in an Agatha Christie story. Um, uh, but I also think, though, I, I do think that maybe it was a little like because I was a little confused at the beginning because I did think that the way it was depicted, it seemed like they knew each other before rather than we're hitting it off for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a little bit of confusion there, which is not bad to have in a mystery uh, when you're trying to figure out who knows what and all that, who's, you know, who's in a relationship with who. But when it ultimately turns out that, yes, that was the first time that they met or whatever, I was kind of like, well, now looking back on it, it doesn't seem like that was the first time they met. They really felt like they both, connected in a way that they had connected before like they were so i wish maybe that had been depicted a little bit better um uh but uh but gal was great uh, i think um and uh kenneth seemed to be more in the zone as uh as the belgian detective here what what did you guys think about kenneth's performance here and his mustache the most well the mustache was the second co-star of this film so <laughs> <laughs> Which, which, to be fair, in the last one, it was the star. Yes. It, 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 the mustache got the higher billing. Yes. They, they kind of, <laughs> which, which I think is totally fair. But they, they definitely they they downsized, for lack of a better term, his mustache. Um, I really liked it. I, I I liked it better than I did the previous giant Texan full face thing that he had going on. Right. Um, although with the 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 war storyline of how he why he grew it the previous one makes more sense now yes very much yes so. yeah in fact his the with the newer mustache his face doesn't look like it's heart at all so yeah by the or scarred at all so by the time it ends with him you know with the mustache off um and he's in this you know he's scarred it's like where did those come from because you did not have those like six months ago um you know and, and if you and if you look at the wound like the way the wound looked in yeah. that flashback it definitely looked like it went all the way up i'm i'm making like hand gestures in the camera that, <laughs> just, just picture what he's doing folks <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah just picture what but yeah the, like the old mustache went all the way up his face and it was and over his cheek which is right where the wounds went, were in that scene but then so i think they kind of shot that first and then went hmm i'm not liking this let's pare it down and then he only had scarring basically over over his lip that's kind of how i feel that went i mean i got based the, on that i got the sense of it it didn't seem like it was consistent with the way that they was made up so i wish they had been more consistent that way and plus i'm not a big fan of uh intros that like inter like solve a mystery that we never really needed to know the answer to like i never really wondered like where did or where get a mustache why does he have a mustache what's the origin of the mustache right but it get the mustache you're right gets an origin story here um <laughs> and <laughs> in fact we're totally we're totally freaked out because in the beginning of the movie someone else has the mustache and we are confused we think yep. that's him and it's not him and the mustache leaps off the other guy and no sorry uh anyway um, and attached to his face, screaming. <laughs> ah! um, and then by the end, he has no mustache, which 
again never happens in a Christie book that I know no, or an adaptation that no, I know. No, of. no, no. And and it basically like kills that character. Um, and but it does. But it does make sense in the in the sense that one of the reasons, one of the things that Perot says in this story is that uh, one of the reasons that he's alone and he has not rekindled a romance or whatever. One, he's he's still carrying a torch for the woman that died. And two is he has to remain focused because what he does is so important that if he's not focused in on that, then he won't be able to do his job. Uh, so if he if he does have romantic feelings about someone and he lo and behold, he develops romantic feelings for someone in this story and people pay the price. You know, three people die. Four people die because he's not he's not in his full game like he he promised he's hired to protect somebody and he fails at that. And it, ultimately, he ends up, you know, failing one of his best friends. And and all because you know I think because he's he's falling he's he's getting romantic with somebody, um, and then so by the end he decides to go with that with the romance rather than stay a detective, um, which I think is I, I don't care for that actually no, but, <laughs> I don't no <laughs> no that kind of took me out of it a little bit I, I don't care for that no I agree with you on that Mikey and it was just interesting because. You would have never seen that in, you know, any of the books. And the great thing... No, because she actually has a story, the last Perot story, where he dies. Like, she mm-hmm. wrote his end. And he ends, he dies as a detective. Like, he dies solving a case. Like, uh, spoiler. Uh, but I think it's called, like, his death or something. Like, uh, Perot's death. Yeah, it's something along like, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, it's pretty much there. Like, but... But, um, so yeah, I mean, she, but you know, obviously Bron is doing his own thing and yeah. this is his way of saying, you know, much like Daniel Craig and James Bond, this is their way of saying, I'm not doing any more of these <laughs> and I'm going to end these, I'm going to end these on my terms. Exactly. And this is it, you know, type thing. I am done with it and everything. Um, do I blame him for the deaths on other than Jackie's death? Uh, I mean, not Jackie's death. Cause you know, that was, you know, the only way she could her, she could get out of it was to kill herself, basically. Mm. But um, Book's death, I think, he was the one, major one that he blamed himself on. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I don't think, you know, the the maid, you know, you're always going to get the servant to die, you know, because she, <laughs> she was trying to blackmail and, you know. She, she had it coming. She had it coming to her. And so Book's death, I think, was the only one he blamed himself for. Dave, you're right. Yeah, I'm. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. You got you. You've got you've got Chicago in my head now. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was thinking it too. So you're not the only I one. Saw, I saw the smirk. I'm like no, nope, no. Nope. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, this happens frequently with detective stories, and it happens frequently when sure. you watch like a lot of the pro uh, mysteries. Is that oftentimes someone comes to them because they're worried about their lives, and they hire him to look into it and they end up dying and he has to investigate their murder and it's like you know if you could be preventive it would be nice <laughs> like, <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> like well, where's the fun in that well, i know right originally though he was hired to spy on book and right. to you know because the mother didn't you know approve of the woman that book was dating 
or that had interest in. Yeah, and that's why we find out that's why he's at the bar in the beginning. I mean, yep. that's dictates mm-hmm. that, that dictates all his uh, his his work in this. Um, it does kind of like the he knows that he's going to Egypt at the end of uh, of uh, Murder on the Orient Express uh, because at the murder at the end of that movie, somebody says or he says something about like uh, I'm going to Egypt or something like that. And at the beginning of this movie, it sounded like someone asked him about solving a case in Egypt. Um, I thought I heard something about that and I was like, Oh, did he, is this going to be a flashback? And, but it wasn't. So it was a, I don't, it was you know, a completely different case. I guess he was going to Egypt and <laughs> well, he came back and he's going back to if Egypt. If you remember and- <laughs> at the end of murder on the Orient Express, he was called to that. There was a, a crime that they wanted him to solve in Egypt. Right. Right. And, that's what you, I said. and you thought, Oh, that's going to be murder on the Orient Express. It's going to be death on the Nile, but it was no, it, that was, yeah. What you said. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I guess he goes to Egypt and then he comes back, gets hired to do this case, ends up going back to Egypt. So yeah, he's putting, he's getting some miles. I don't know if they had like Delta points at that point, but (laughs) (laughs) it's all expense paid for him. I'm sure. Right. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, so, um, any other cast members of note? I mean, we don't have time to go through them all, but Ashley, was there another cast member or character that, that stuck with you in this? Um, I think we've kind of mentioned the standouts. Um, I enjoyed Kenneth's uh, performance in this role, and it's a joy to see like such a large ensemble cast. I feel like this is the type of movie we don't get as often anymore with people who a lot of A-list stars coming together for this movie. And I would imagine something like this would be fun to shoot when you get everybody together in a close environment. So it was just neat to see everybody had a little part to play in a special moment. And there were moments where each of them, I could see them, maybe them being the committer, the person who committed the crime. So it was nice to see each one get their little moment in the movie. Dave. Uh, Agreed. I think with murder on the Orient express, it was definitely an A-list ensemble. I kind of felt this one was more of a, a, not a B list, but somewhere like an A minus B plus. I rec- you recognize so many of the faces, but other than obviously Kenneth Branagh and Gal Gadot, a lot of words. Where do I know that person from? It's like you would if you didn't realize that was Russell Peterson. Would you recognize Russell Peterson in that kind of a role? You mean Russell Brand? like that? Russell, Russell Brand, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, this yeah. has got to be like the low lowest key role that I, I. It took me a while to figure out who he was because he was so boring. <laughs> I was just yeah. like, I mean, he has to work at being boring, right? Like, and that's his role. That's his job. That's his. Yeah. That's his character. I totally get that. But I was like, damn, this is like, this is a great job of like being a boring guy for a guy who usually is not. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a brilliant ensemble, and like. It that was really well done. I don't even care that Army Hammer's a, a, a creep because he's so generic to me as as an actor as a as a anything. I don't. If I didn't know that was him, I wouldn't know it was him. I he's just which is kind of good for that role too. He was just kind of that a very, for lack of a better term, vanilla uh, character and a good actor to play that because 
uh mike i know you mentioned uh sophie uh oh man am i gonna mispronounce her name now too people are gonna drink for that um okanido is yep. that right sophie that was she was awesome uh and, I, and she was great and of course for, uh, but for me the standout actually was emma mckay okay who, who played uh jackie and yes she yeah she was truthfully she was hauntingly i think she was beautiful and she was you know very both very seductive but also very you could see so much going behind her eyes at the same time and she was playing the crazy role perfectly and it was mm-hmm. and to find out then it was all an act that it was all pre everything between her and you know the uh, husband was all planned out from like to the T that he would pretend to fall in love with her. And it was just, it was just awesome. And I think it was done better in the Peter Usinoff version, but it was very well done in this. It wasn't as convincing as in this one that, you know, disagrees. well, it was, it was, it was different. It was, it, they, they took it in two different directions. I think. Usnuff one was 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 well done, and I and I do want to watch it again. Kind of, it was more it was much more nuanced. Whereas this one was a much more conniving, deep, almost almost psychotic, mm-hmm. almost sinister deepness you know, to it. Yeah. Sinister, yes. There's the there's the better words. It was a very sinister version of the character, and it was right. Just yeah, you 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 got chills to the bone in some of those scenes. Yep, and it was interesting too because you also had, of course, Annette Benning in this, and but you also I it was like when I saw the maid I was like, who who is that that Rose uh, Leslie, and then I yeah. then halfway through I started whispering to Judy, you know nothing, Jon Snow, nothing. <laughs> that's right, because right. she's from Game of Thrones, and yeah. And actually, she's actually married to him, so it's pretty awesome. I think did she also have a small role in Downton Abbey? Yes, she was. Yes. In the Thank you. That's, that's what that's yep. what hit me. I'm like, because I'm used to her being a servant. I guess that's yep. <laughs> like that's like yeah, she was definitely downstairs, uh, not upstairs. Yeah. Oh uh, no! And she should have stayed at Downton. Like if this was her next <laughs> job, like <laughs> yeah, this didn't work out for her so well. Exactly. Um, I, I I agree with everybody everybody's assessment of everybody, uh, but I do have to give a special shout out because I smiled so hard when I saw them. But French and Saunders together again. Um, I know that this probably doesn't mean much to a lot of people because you know, especially Ashley, because you're young, but you don't remember. But Jennifer Saunders and Don French are famous uh, comedy duo from Britain. Uh, Jennifer Saunders in this country is known for being uh, part of. Um, uh, absolutely fabulous right is that the series Ab- 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 yeah. uh, Ab- right and 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 that and so this is great but before she did that she was a com- part of a comedy duo called french and saunders and they were amazingly funny uh they are british icons uh really and um but they don't get together and do a lot any anymore um i think about five years ago was the last time they and i remember even seeing something i don't know pretty recent where someone asked if they were, they were going to get together and do anything. And, and Jennifer said something like she said that the time that they were to appear and perform together is probably done. So to see them in this together 
And not only are they together now, obviously they're not doing any funny sticks. So they're not really hilarious together. Although they do have a few nice moments, I think, but the Mm -hmm. fact that they were lovers really, I thought was perfect. I just, I thought they nailed it. I thought they were great. It was good to see them and a a nice bit of stunt casting, especially over for the UK, but I loved it as well. So I got a, I got a kick out of that. So, um, and yeah, everybody else was, it was pretty solid as well. Um, I, I think, um, um, all right. So if that's, that goes for the cast, um, before we get into sort of, uh, sort of final thoughts, was there anything else bad or good about this adaptation that you, that you want to shout out about Ashley, that you want to talk about? As others have said, I am really sad that this is presumably the last one because I would definitely be on board to see uh, Kenneth direct more of these. Like as many Perot mysteries as he wants to direct, I, I would really like to see more stories in this setting. So I, I think it is a shame if he intends to draw this to a close. I would have liked to see it maybe a little more open-ended, Um, There's the scene on the dock where he has uh, the connection with the blues singer. Like he's almost about to say something, but doesn't. And then she just walks away. That might've been a more fitting ending than him showing up in the club without a mustache. Just leave it a little more open that there was a connection there, but you're not sure if he's going to move forward with it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, there are some really good mysteries. Uh, Peter Ustinov made, I think six movies Mm -hmm. uh, that were adapted out of, Agatha Christie stories. Um, the one that came after, I think the, probably the third most popular one or had the biggest cast was evil under the sun. Uh, does that take place in Egypt as well? Um, a couple of others, his other stories take place in Egypt too. He did go back to get back and forth to Egypt quite a bit. <laughs> actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a fabulous setting. Well, it is. Also, yeah. If you remember, he also started, um, de- what murder on the orient express they started in the middle east also in what was then oh, Pal- right. palestine and then turkey yeah, that's, that's right mm, yeah yes. he did yeah well he did travel a lot yes. um although most of his stories are based in he had an office in in london which i thought that's where they were heading when they sort of you know showed him uh in london at the end i thought that's where they were going to go with that and i do believe and i and i meant to i looked at some of the credits but i didn't see it credited but i do believe that the final uh there was a music cue at, at least during the credits of the david sachet like um uh theme song i believe so um it sounded like there was some familiar chords there but i could just been um it could have just been me i don't i don't know if that's true so i didn't see anything that was credited with the original composer or anything so maybe that's just me but um uh dave anything else about the movie that you want to point out that like that you liked or you didn't like Uh, of the most random thing ever shout out to all the performers represented by joseph's amazing camels (laughs) yes that is actually the prior of the camels in there look we're conversation conversation look up at the screen joseph's amazing camels what (laughs) <laughs> okay, never mind. Because <laughs> that's just a brilliant company name. Um, that that having been said, the, the him getting rid of the mustache thing could actually kind of go into something I wanted to see if there was a third one, and that's a complete a third completely new mustache. Mm. He's got two different styles. I want a new mustache style for every movie, which is not Perot, but it is. It is you know if you, they're already gone two, so. Let's do more. <laughs> How's that yeah. for a weird wish? 
that, that fair <laughs> enough. I mean, it be, you know, what, you know, I mean, look, it's, there is possible that maybe, you know, uh, he, uh, he does take up uh, sleuthing again and, uh, you know, she turns out to be his uh, Watson or whatever, you know, so maybe, you know, okay. I'd they've messed that. with enough. Yeah. They've messed with enough other characters too. Like they've added them, subtracted them, merged them, True. brought them, you know, that they could easily pull her into another thing. They got rid of Colonel race completely, which I think is kind of a shame if, but I don't think you would ever do a mix Marple. But I think they kind of merged him into Kenneth Branagh's Poirot. A little bit, yeah. Uh, and, and, a, and a little bit of book in there. But, you know, I think it's very easy. And, of course, the, the I mean, the senior citizen lesbians has been, was done elsewhere. It was not a, you know, just thrown into this movie. That was straight out of a different Christie story. Right. But So, I mean, there's so much they could still go and do. And it would be brilliant. And I really, really hope this movie does incredibly well. Um, as and and that he goes, okay, well, maybe I can do one more and see. Well, um, interestingly enough, and usually we start with this, but unfortunately, we didn't have our box office guy Alex to hear. But the movie did okay. I mean it it grossed twelve point eight million in the United States and Canada. Uh, 20 million uh, in other territories for a worldwide total of uh, a little over 33 million. Um, you know, it's, there's a pandemic still. So, you know, who knows what these numbers mean? Uh, but um, I don't know, you know, Kenneth Branagh doesn't stay with franchises too long. No. As, as we found out from like Thor and all that, but, um, and, and he doesn't, you know, and, and he's got a huge hit on his hand with Belfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh try is 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 nominated for a bunch of awards as we just saw uh from uh the academy so um you know he's going to be probably busy picking any other project he wants for the next you know few years anyway um but uh but regardless mike what uh, something else that uh, you wanted to say about the movie good or bad no i think overall it was a pleasant experience you didn't catch me ever looking at my watch like oh how much longer it was very, very riveting. It was kind of weird seeing Perot holding the gun on everybody at the end. <laughs> I w- wasn't expecting that, but I enjoyed the film overall. And, you know, it is a shame that they're going to keep it at this. It's not going to move on. But bring on another Perot. I'm sure this isn't the last remake we're going to see of Murder on oh, the no. Orient Express and Death on the Nile and all the others. And you know what? If you get a chance, folks, if you have BritBox or the PBS app on you know streaming, definitely check out some of the most amazing mysteries you have ever checked out. These are some great stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, it's a good point, Mike, um, that, uh, the, about the running time, it didn't, even though I was familiar with the mystery, I didn't feel like there was any really like fat in this at all. There was no, like everything kind of led up to uh, the things that it was supposed to lead up to as far as the plot points. Uh, the movie comes in at, uh, two hours and seven minutes, which felt pretty fast to me. I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was nice and refreshing not to have a movie be like two hours, two and a half hours for like, and, and I, you know, outside of the the first part and the last part, which I thought were a bit unnecessary. Um, 
you know, it could have been even shorter. <laughs> so, um, I was going to say they added enough that it, it, it still yeah, felt lean, but exactly. they still added a ton. So, right. Uh, they, yeah, they give him a little bit of backstory. And then of course at the end, uh, so, and those are the two things I probably had the most problems with, but as, as the adaptation itself, I thought was, was really great. Um, and I, and I'm like you guys, I, I, I feel like this is the end, uh, for this Poirot anyway. Um, whether or not, you know, I think we're due for another one, uh, someone else to tackle this on a, on a weekly basis, on a TV basis mm-hmm. to try mm-hmm. to tackle all those mysteries again. I would certainly, uh, love to see that. Um, it's only uh, a num- number of times and a m- matter of days until David Tennant takes it. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> right after he's done playing fog, right? Uh, yes. he'll, he'll switch from playing, uh, you know, to, to playing a friend. He could pull it off. I bet he could pull it off. I think I he could. I don't know what kind of mustache he would have, but, uh, I mean, typically would he wear a fat suit. Yeah. I was going to say he would gain a lot of weight because typically, uh, he's more round. Let's say, oh, yeah. uh, but, but don't tell him that he, he believes that he is in perfect shape. Uh, so, uh, and everything like little nuances too, where he was like constantly straightening, like, you know, when he straightens like the victim's feet or when he's, you know, straightening stuff and his, his uh, OCD at his OCD best. was like, yeah. yeah, I was like taking over. I thought those were little nice touches too. So a lot of good stuff. So, all right. So overall, um, I don't know, rate this, I guess, maybe, uh, Ashley, where do you stand on it? Yeah, I would say, um, very solid four out of five stars for me. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I would be interested in watching it again now that I know how it ends to see if there are other little interactions or character moments that maybe I missed. I did get a chance to, um, see it on IMAX and Ooh. it was really cool to just see it like on a big beautiful screen so it's definitely worth going out to see in the theater with the cinematography in this with the pyramids and the sphinx mm-hmm. and the Nile Valley I don't blame you it must have been amazing in IMAX yeah it felt very immersive so if you have a chance to an IMAX screen near you it's worth splurging a little bit extra to see it in that format yeah excellent Dave i I'm somewhere between a four and a four and a half. Like, it was really well done. I, 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 without the extra, like I said, that beginning and end bit, I think it would definitely be at least a four and a half. So yeah, somewhere in that, maybe let's, let's call it four and a quarter. <laughs> four and a quarter. Let's, All let's right. Split it. All right. Mike. I'm going to go with Ashley and give it a solid four. I enjoyed it. I'll definitely probably watch it again. If it ever pops up on, when it pops up on streaming, or, you know, I probably won't own it, but it's definitely something that will be a popcorn movie to watch. And, you know, you already knew who did it. So, you know, it was Agatha all along. So <laughs> not in this. Well, I mean, yes, actually, oh, that's a different... yes she is responsible for all of the deaths. Yes, ultimately. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm going to go with a four as well. Um, the beginning and end uh, things probably take a little bit away from me as well as the fact that overall, I like this one a lot, um, but I do feel like Murder on the Orient Express is a better mystery. It's a better, more engaging uh, mystery and just a, a, a I mean, I'm not going to spoil it here, but it, when you find out who who done it, so to speak, in murder, it's 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 mind blowing. Everyone you, did it. Come on. <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's, it's just mind blowing. That's something you just totally, and it's, it's totally, 
it, it and it's really well done the way it is. So, so um, it's not just a gimmick. It really makes a lot of sense. So, um, but this one is cool too. I like it. Um, I liked it a lot. So, and it sounds like everybody else did. So everybody should go see it. See it in IMAX, like Ashley said, if you can. Um, don't wait till streaming. Uh, this is a big screener. I think this is a big screen movie to see. Oh, very um, much so. The cool yeah. thing with it, you know, like the the critics gave it like a sixty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and but the audience gave it almost eighty six, which you know yeah. just shows the difference. True. I mean, I don't know how much of that is like in you know between between the murder street, you know, the streaming thing, and and whether or not you know people are comfortable going to see the theater, and the whole Arnie Hammer thing. Like, I, I I don't know. That's obviously things that hurt it. So, and plus, I don't know if anybody. I mean, as cool as it is, I mean, I don't know if the kid. When I saw it, a lot of older couples. I wasn't even the youngest. I wasn't even the oldest person in there, which is weird. Uh, so, uh, so I don't know how many like young people are really interested in this kind of stuff, but. I liked it. So, and I'm glad you guys liked it too. So, all right. So that concludes our review of it, but we want to hear from you. So please reach out to us. Let us know what you felt about this movie and whether you'd like to see more. And uh, we will be back in a minute. I don't think we're going to get creative. So we'll just be back to close the show. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about The Book of Boba Fett. There will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen The Book of Boba Fett yet, or if you're not finished with it, just skip ahead now. Okay, so The Book of Boba Fett is finished, and I will say, I rather enjoyed the show in its entirety. The show was slow to start, and I wasn't really sure where it was going at first, and I did appreciate the flashbacks. Knowing what happened to Boba Fett after the Sarlacc pit and also how he met Fennec was information I wanted to know after their appearance in The Mandalorian. But at first, it just kind of seemed like there was no linear way for the show, which they did get their bearings, and I was very happy about that. I do feel like the show overshadowed Boba Fett in his own show. Many of the other characters were just written way more interesting than he was, which to me is weird for a show titled The Book of Boba Fett. I loved the mini Mandalorian episode we got in the middle of the show. Um, I also think that Dallas Bryce Howard needs her own Star Wars movie, like give that woman a Star Wars movie to direct right now, please. Um, And I'm really thrilled that they set up Mandalorian Season 3 for us because where Season 2 left off, you didn't know what was going to happen with Season 3. And... Yeah, because I need more Mando and Grogu back in my life. I also want to slap Luke so bad after this show, but that's a rant for another time. I feel like the scene at the end in the last episode with Grogu and the Rancor means we need a mini animated series of Grogu and the Rancor, because that would be adorable. And... I'm all here for cute Star Wars stuff, as well as, you know, regular Star Wars stuff. Overall, this season was enjoyable, in my opinion, and they did set it up to have an ending, but it's also open enough that if they decide to do another season, it's there. Which, I know when they announced the show, they announced it as a standalone, one-season show, but you never know. They have characters there that they could use. They have stories they could probably do. We never know. We'll see. Well... Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. 
It was the dawn of another podcast. The Epsilon 3 is a dream given form. It's a home away from home for three guys to watch a 90s sci-fi classic TV show. Three guys with microphones over 3,249 miles apart, all alone in the night. The year is 2021. The name of the station is Babylon 5. The name of the podcast is the Epsilon 3. Veer, bring me a drink. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here tonight. Of course, the lovely and talented Ashley Pauls. Thank you as always, my dear. Oh, thank you. Always a pleasure. And I loved your review you did this last week on ESO. It was great. Oh, thank you. Your column was awesome as always. And, you know, as we like to say, keep up the great work. I've got some good stuff, hopefully, coming throughout the year. That's awesome. Anything you want to shout out about? Yeah. So um, kind of going along with the period murder mystery theme, I want to give a shout out to a book that um, my book club picked this past month. It is called The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. And it's a murder mystery set in the 1920s, but there are some really intriguing twists. There's some alternate timeline, unreliable narrator, a protagonist who finds himself waking up in different bodies every morning and trying to piece together the mystery as the countdown's going. And I don't want to say too much about it because part of the pleasure of reading this mystery is just watching all the twists un come apart as the story goes along. But if you like Agatha Christie type mysteries, I would highly recommend this and it's excellent as an audiobook also. Awesome, awesome. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Or reading it actually. Or listening. I hope they make a film adaptation because I think it would make a great mini series. So Oh nice. Very cool. And Dave, you've made it through your first episode with Earth Station One and you didn't even get put in the geek seat, you know? Woo I know. Craziness, huh? Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Uh, as always, you can find all of my tabletop gaming reviews at, and all our social medias for the site there at linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash the rat hole, one word dot C-A. Um, looking for at least one more subscriber on YouTube so I can finally get a real URL on that. <laughs> Ooh, um, let's do it. Yes, uh, you can also see me most weeks on The Legend of the Traveling Tardis, uh, YouTube, Facebook, all over the place. And if you are part of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, you can you can actually read my, my first time getting published as a writer, not a photographer, in in the uh, in this month's Celestial Toy Room oh, magazine. Congratulations. That is I'm awesome. Very excited about that. Congratulations, <laughs> my friend. Thank you. That is awesome. And Mr. Mike Gordon, we made it through another episode. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? I do. I want to give a uh, a nice uh, tribute. We lost two really great, um, uh, amazing, influential filmmakers over the past week. Uh, we lost Douglas Trumbull, who was a visual effects uh, artist who also directed. He directed Silent Running, which we all uh, reviewed, uh, I think, last year, correct? Yes. Um, he did visual effects on 2001, A Space Odyssey, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Blade Runner, Close Encounters, 
uh, directed uh, Brainstorm um, and just a lot of other things. He was re- most recently, most of his efforts were in um, a virtual reality and trying to make that more, um, make, make stories come alive through that medium. And uh, I, he was just really still trying to be a pioneer, even at his age. Um, and then just really like a couple of days ago, we lost uh, director Ivan Reitman, who a uh, director, writer, producer, Meatballs, Animal House, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Heavy Metal, Twins, Dave, like the list goes on and on. Like this guy did so many um, uh, influential movies, movies that make people smile, make people laugh. One movie that he did that doesn't get a lot of attention is a movie called Legal Eagles with Robert Redford, Daryl Hannah and Deborah Winger. Uh, I love that movie. It's a corny romantic comedy, but I love it because it's one of the few movies that uh, I just went and saw with my mom in the theater. We had a great time and it's just a really special moment for me personally. Um, And so I, and that's what his movies were like. They were just really fun movies that you can look back on and smile. And man, if that's your legacy, like what a bit, what a beautiful legacy that is. But um, his son is of course is directing. He he recently directed Ghostbusters afterlife, which Ivan, uh, did a lot of work with him on that as well. So, um, you know, two great talents that will be missed, but their legacy lives on, will live long, long, long time because of all the great work they do. No, totally understand that. Yeah, my shout out was actually going to be to Ivan Reitman also. So, you know, we just watched Twins and also Animal House in honor of him. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, I, well, I always love breaking out Aminal House, and <laughs> it's just, you know, I'm a big fan of the name of the college in that movie, so, you know, what can I say? Okay. So, it's just always a, a blast to watch his movies, and it always seemed like a lot of, you know, the the things he did had heart at the bottom of it. It wasn't just, you know, a ha-ha slapstick comedy or such look at dave was such a wonderful film and everything and kevin was awesome and that was sorghini weaver and you know and who he worked with multiple times and it was it was just a lot of fun so you know there's just so many cool things that you can you know see through his process and i was so glad that he was able to see his son succeed with the new ghostbusters movie yeah yeah, they got, they got to work on that together and did a lot of that. I mean, a lot of great. I'm glad they had that together. To mm-hmm. share. Exactly. So bravo there. And, you know, he will be missed. Look up his library, folks, if you ever get a chance. It's not hard to find his stuff. And, you know, if you haven't seen a lot of the things he did, it's total entertainment. And you will not be bored. I can guarantee that. So definitely check it out. And speaking of checking it out, join us again next week when we are going to be going to a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And we're going to look at the Book of Boba Fett. That's right, folks. We're going to check it out. Oh, so it's a book review. It's a book review, of course. It's it's our book club, right? Exactly. And, you know, (laughs) and the main hero was missing from two and a half episodes. So it's pretty interesting with that. So it should be a lot of fun to talk all about it. Um, A lot of mixed reviews on it from people out there. And 
I actually even you know have some mixed thoughts on it. So it's going to be real interesting to talk about. And we're going to have a great crew already lined up for that. So it should be cool to see. But of course, you know, we'd love to get some feedback from you guys. Please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening to the Earthstation One podcast. We're powered by NSC. We can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, like Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Google, you name it. Earth Station One's there with all the other shows, too. It's pretty cool. But of course, on behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Ashley Pauls, and Dave Chapman, thank you for listening again. We will see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, and of course... Don't go on a, a cruise of the Nile. You never know who's going to return. So, definitely. Especially if a gentleman with a big, thick mustache is on the boat with you. That's we always was, a bad sign. It is always a bad sign. We'll see you then. Peace, and we are done. Boom. Yay. Missed you guys already. Bye. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.